Okay, everybody, if you are just joining us, maybe you've been on vacation and you haven't caught up yet on our YouTube channel or our podcast, or if you're brand new here, we've been going through the book of James. And this thing is, it's like a spiritual two by four. And it's filled with wisdom. And it was written to people in transition, just like us. We don't know exactly what's going to come next. And I think James has so much wisdom for us, even though it's written thousands of years ago in 2021, it's still applicable today. And we've already covered a lot of ground. We've looked at how we can get through the tests and trials and troubles as God brings us through them. And today we're going to see how James tells us how we get to help others too. And he really wants us to think about how we treat people and particularly about how a person's social or economic status might affect us. We might need this now. <laughs> That's my, my assumption, is that the world needs a group of Jesus-following people to live this kind of life. They need this now more than ever. But before we jump into that, I want us to see that however we might make judgments, and we all do, the Bible says it makes no difference to God today, whether you're young or old, whether you're highly educated or not, whether you're extremely famous, hello all you famous people, or unknown, hello all of you unknown people. Like God, that does not matter to God. God wants you to know him and know his love so that you can share that with the whole world that is in desperate need of love right now. And God doesn't love you more or less uh, depending on how much melanin you have in your skin and what color your skin is, doesn't love you more or less based on how flashy your clothes are, uh, what sneakers you wear. God doesn't judge like that. God isn't impressed by the car you drive, the, the labels on your clothes, or what degrees are hanging on your wall. Uh, we're going to get to James, but I want to show you in Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 7, it says, with the Lord our God, there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. And that word partiality, it means favoritism, like treating people differently in an unfair way. And of course, everybody's different. And that's actually part of God's genius and creativity that nobody on the planet is like you. No one's like me. And the Lord deals with us all as individuals, uh, like a good parent loves all of their children just the same amount, but a good parent doesn't treat all of their kids the same because what works for one kid doesn't work for another. God knows you intimately and wants to uh, treat, treat everybody fair. Uh, God is a, a father unlike any we've ever known, uh, but God doesn't judge us by our outward uh, performance or our, or our outward just external shallow stuff. Deuteronomy chapter 10, 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Uh, the old version that I grew up with and I heard my pastor say over and over is, God is no respecter of persons. Like he doesn't, he treats everyone fairly. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't respect us. Uh, it means he will give us the right and privilege to, to refuse to, to choose the love that God offers us, and he won't force us. Uh, some newer versions say, God doesn't play favorites. And we see this theme 
over and over in Scripture. When the prophet Samuel uh, went out and he was, God told him to look for uh, the new king of Israel. There's this verse in 1 Samuel 16, 7 uh, that says, People judge by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And as the story goes, Samuel found somebody that no one else would have chosen. David was the youngest, and especially in the eyes of his brothers and probably his own dad, he was the runt of the litter. Uh, But God said, here's a man I can use. Here's a man after my own heart. He's going to be the king of Israel. And this happens over and over in the scripture. And uh, pick the Bible up and notice how many times, time after time, God picks people that other people would judge as unworthy. Uh, and even their own, like the person who God picks, like with Gideon, he ruled himself out. Um, so as human beings, uh, we might look in the mirror and not like what we see. But remember what James told us uh, last week and other places in this letter, like the word of God And this is important as we begin our discussion. This is the most trustworthy mirror because in here, you see what God sees. We judge by what we see with human eyes. And so God judges what God sees, but only God sees the heart. So let's jump in to verse uh, verse one of chapter two. James says, my brothers and sisters, Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. So we can't show favoritism. This is uh, Jewish background believers, and he's saying, okay, we don't play favorites. And the root of that favoritism, it means to lift up somebody's face and to elevate them. And the idea is is to judge someone. What he's saying is to to make a snap judgment and take them at face value and make this superficial evaluation of a person's worth based on externals, on the outside stuff. James here is careful here to tell us that that kind of thinking, like it's incompatible with the Christian faith. It's like, okay, we're all followers of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. We don't show, we don't play favorites. Everyone is a brother, a sister in Christ, especially in the gatherings uh, that they would have. In verse 9, he says that, that like if you do that, you actually break the most important law of God. Let's let, let that set in for a second. Pause and let that sink in. When we show favoritism, and James is quoting his, his older half-brother here, saying that the most important commandment is in Leviticus to love God and love others, love your neighbor as yourself. Let that sink in for a moment. Because there's, there's a lot of stuff in here <laughs> the Bible says uh, will bring death. All kinds of things. But when we show favoritism, we're breaking the most important law of God. And when it comes to playing favorites, this is a great place for us to think about who who James is for a second, who God is using to write this letter. And let's think about it from a different angle. This person, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, don't play favorites. James, we know he grew up in a Jewish family in first century Israel. But imagine growing up with his older brother, with with like a normal name, would have been called Yeshua, 
like any a lot of boys probably in the neighborhood and James would have been Yaakov like our equivalent of Jacob and then there was Jude uh, and other brothers and a sister who are unnamed in the text like like these were other than Jesus this was an ordinary family probably judging by appearances and we don't know the birth order after Jesus and James uh, but what's pretty clear is that Jesus knew he was something special like imagining if your older half-brother was God in human flesh. Imagine the dynamic in the family. Uh, like his, We're told in Scripture that, that James' mother Mary treasured in her heart what the angel Gabriel told her and, and Joseph about this virgin birth and the visitors bringing the gift for the king and the prophecies in the temple when they took Jesus to be dedicated the escape, like in the night, they had to flee the country for their lives as they had to flee to Egypt. But then as Jesus grew up, Mary and Joseph had had other kids together. Who do you think the favorite would be? If I love that, that joke, and I think my sisters and I joke, and I know in my wife's family, they always joke about who's the favorite, and I mean, I'm the, I'm the oldest child, I've gotta be the favorite, right? Uh, middle children always think they're the favorite. Uh, my wife is a middle child, and when we were dating, she said, oh, the middle children are always the favorite. Jesus loves the middle children, all the middle children of the world, red and yellow, black and blue. Jesus loves me more than you. Jesus loves the middle children of the world. That's not in the Bible. I'm an oldest child, but my wife swears about it, and uh, my sisters would disagree on who the favorite kid is, but this had to be tough for James growing up, like with an older brother who's actually perfect. And then this perfect brother leaves home, starts preaching all of these wild, radical new ideas, healing and miracles, and then he gets in trouble for it. James had to think that Jesus had gone crazy. But if you're trying to prove that you're God, then dying and coming back to life, that, that pretty much does it. And James is, has come to see after Jesus' resurrection and, and James, uh, Jesus probably appeared to James. James interacted with people who saw Jesus after he had come back to life. And, and at this point, in that first, there's so much packed into this first verse. This isn't uh, my brothers and sisters, believers, and my crazy older brother. James has come to believe that our glorious Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and with the weight of that saying, we must not show favoritism. This God who came to live with us, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson says it. Like, now, when you get that, like whatever growing up was like uh, for you and whatever the word family means to you, it can really help and it helps that, that you're not inferior and you're not superior to anyone else. You're just amazingly blessed. This is God's heart. God doesn't show favoritism, he loves you, and we are not to show favoritism to other people because the most important person, the, the most important person in the universe, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, doesn't just wanna be your friend. Like, God wants you to be family, like, with you forever. There's no more important, per the person who created all of this wants to call you son, wants to call you daughter. 
you know, uh, I know some of you aren't in Southern California, but Southern California celebrity culture, like, uh, I haven't run into very many celebrities driving down the street or anything. We're, we're kind of about an hour away from LA, but, um, a couple of months ago, I got to meet a, a celebrity to me who just happens to be, he's the lead singer of a reggae band. And through a, I've been following this guy for 20 years and listening to his music. And about, about nine months ago, uh, I get a phone call from our sound engineer and we're talking and she lets my wife and I know I just got engaged. We're getting married and um, my uncle's going to be there. He's a really crazy guy. He's the lead singer of a Christian reggae band. And I like put the phone down. You don't mean Tansobach from Christafari, do you? She's like, how in the world do you know that? I'm like, this guy, I've loved that band for 20 years. And so I had six months of anticipation of like meeting this person who was a celebrity. Like my first email address was his, his, uh, his stage name. And uh, like I got so worked up and I got to the wedding and I saw him there and he had dreadlocks and he was just like talking to everybody and I totally froze. Like, I can't go talk to this guy. And uh, my wife tried to drag me over there, and I started talking to someone else. And she walks up to him and goes, I think my husband once used your name as an email or something. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I heard about you guys. And uh, Pastor Ryan actually picked me up and brought me over there. Like, I totally froze and had stage fright. But, like, if I really believed what James was saying, that, that God doesn't show favorites... I would know this guy's just another brother in Christ. If I came across a, a celebrity, like they're just the same as you and me. Uh, same, uh, but they're different, but the same family. All of us are meant to be brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one we're supposed to be impressed with. He's the most important VIP in the universe. And think about this He's come to meet you. Jesus has come to find you, no matter what you've done, no matter uh, what you say about yourself. He's come to love you and invite you into his family forever. So much of this can be like, oh, that's like Jesus 101, Christianity 101. But seriously, I'm, I'm hovering here so long. Let that sink in. So many of us uh, are struggling with self-image, self-worth, and we think it, it chalks up to what we do or who we are. And here, right now, James from a couple thousand years ago is saying, hey, brothers and sisters, God doesn't play favorites. We don't play favorites. Now, the, the outworking of that inward realization is that we shouldn't go around judging externals. And uh, the, the crazy thing is that he specifically says that this shouldn't happen in our gatherings, like their version of a church service. Um, like this is not just a hypothetical situation. Like this kind of favoritism was, uh, was happening. The word um, that he was using is synagogue. And he's writing early, like we've talked about, to Jewish background believers before this opposition became too fierce and they couldn't meet together and like they were scattered like we were uh, when things shut down. Was it 16, 17 months ago? And it was even more reflected, this kind of, um, this kind of favoritism in the Jewish temple system. Uh, they had maps in the courts 
telling people where they were supposed to be according to their gender, according to their race. Uh, but in synagogues, like men sat on one side, uh, the ladies sat on the other, and the all-important curtain dividing them, because uh, maybe they were the original junior hires, so they wouldn't get cooties <laughs> in the synagogue. There were, there were seats of honor um, where people, of, you know, you were sorted according to your rank and status in society. And now I'm going to paraphrase. Like if you're following along, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase verses 2 through 4. And just imagine this rich guy, you're in first century Palestine. Rich guy pulls up outside of your gathering uh, with the newest camel. <laughs> I mean the latest model, clean. And this, this guy is decked out. I mean literally a gold-fingered man. Like uh, people back then uh, couldn't, like poor people couldn't afford gold rings in those times. Uh, but the most glamorous people in the ancient world, they would wear rings on their thumbs and every finger except the middle finger, and, and sometimes up to six rings on a finger. There were even, I, I found in my research, there were even ring rental businesses back there, like a booth that you couldn't afford to keep them, but you, if you really wanted to make an impression, first date, get the camel all washed and, and wear your finest robe, but, yeah, put a whole, that's uh, gold finger. Like you could rent uh, all these rings to make a really big impression. And uh, James is saying that this guy walks in and, and people are like, whoa, look. Like, is it a rock star? Like there's this person walked in and they're really, um, really big deal. And the word it, it uses to describe like uh, dazzling, it means shining like a lamp. This person walks into the room loud and flashy. Now, what do you do with them? Well, this is a person that walks into a gathering. Well, we've got to welcome this person. You love the person. Tell them that King Jesus became poor for his sake. Jesus came to die for his sins. And, and now Jesus is alive uh, to, to have a, a relationship and to, to welcome him into the family of God. You treat him the best you can so that he knows that the outside doesn't matter. Like who he is on the inside matters. However successful he looks, however prosperous he looks with his life and whatever his ride is, you treat this person because this person, you treat them well because he needs to know uh, the Lord and in his heart, like have it changed from the inside out. In the synagogues of that time, uh, most people would sit on the floor, cross-legged, but there were some benches, an elevated seat. But what if you're so impressed by him and, and getting them the best, best seat? Like, oh, sit here. And, um, oh, everybody, where's the offering plate? Sit, sit the rich guy next to the offering plate. What if that happens and you don't even notice the beggar who's sitting on the floor only owns one robe? It's old and filthy, probably sleeps in it. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think James is saying there's anything wrong with giving the first guy with all the rings a good seat, literally an elevated seat, as long as you do the same thing for the poor man too. But if I don't, just judging by appearances and making a prejudgment about him, I've become prejudiced. If you do it, you've become prejudiced. Uh, and as the, as the scripture says, a judge with evil intent. That's in verse 4. The word evil here can also translate as vicious. Judging that 
somehow the rich are better than the poor. James says, that's not how the kingdom of God works. Now we're all one family. Like, you know, solid ground, like part of our DNA, like when we started, the, uh, the church uh, immediately be, uh, began uh, meeting as it really started picking up in an elementary school. But when they built their first building, um, it was constructed, and you can still see it today. The fellowship hall has this overhang that you park under, and it fits about halfway over a normal-sized car. And there's these speakers under the overhang because the original intent was to remove any barriers of people uh, who, who might want to check out church but might be nervous about coming in. So they made like an actual drive-in church experience because they didn't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. In a way, they were saying like, everyone gets a good seat. Uh, you can go out in the, in the sidewalk and see someone wrote, I think it was with their finger, when we started our preschool. And they said, let the little people come. Like that's the heart of Solid Ground Church. And there's been seasons when we've been better at it and seasons when we needed to work on it. But like this, this kind of, uh, of value for who people are as, as image bearers of God, it's nothing new, but what if we doubled down on this and, and really thought about this? Like how can we show Jesus's love to anyone who comes into this online experience or, or shows up uh, in person on a Sunday? And um, I love you. And I'm, uh, as a pastor, I just wanna poke at you a little bit. Um, but not to hurt you, not to make fun, and not to make light of things. But, uh, like, what would you do if a person that um, is not in your normal circle came to church with you and you saw them walk in? Maybe they have piercings all over their body or tattoos, whatever your hang-up is. Um, and I'll poke at you a little bit more. What if someone showed up to church in a Black Lives Matter t-shirt? What would you do if someone showed up to church in a, in a Make America Great hat again? Like, this is a real life stuff when people are so, they're from another tribe. Do we make a snap judgment about that person? Maybe you don't like crazy colored hair or mohawks or whatever. What would you do? Like, do you, do you move seats? <laughs> do, you, do you give them the evil eye and move away? Or... Or do we show people love and respect? I'm not saying we have to be best friends with everybody who walks in the door, but how, what happens in our heart when, when someone who, who's clearly from another background than us, what, what happens in us? James says that God's kingdom values what's inside and doesn't see the externals. And, and James goes on to have this conversation about how we use our, our money. He's saying, okay, so we can give rich people the, the preferential treatment, but hold on a second. Listen, and he says it again, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in the faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Like he's saying, okay, it's not a bad thing in and of itself to have wealth. It's what you do with it. But when we, when we gather, when we start showing preferential treatment to people based on externals, 
or based on things that that are it's easier for us to relate to them like that's not how God's kingdom works and it's relevant today like we live in a world right now where the eight richest people own more than the poorest half of humanity and because humans have made all of our, our, our economic systems, none of them are perfect. But these systems have enabled 2,000 billionaires to own more than the other 4.6 billion people who make up 60% of the world. Like, and don't worry, this isn't going to devolve into a, an offering plea. Like, what I'm trying to get at here is James is saying that, that how we spend our money it demonstrates whether or not we bear the family resemblance and, and which kingdom matters most to us. Like, it's a big deal. It says a lot. And like I said before, it's not a bad thing in and of itself to have resources. The more you have, the more good you can choose to do with it. Uh, but the Bible says about Jesus that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, that through his poverty we might be made rich and rich in the ways that matter most and last forever. He spent his time uh, with, with the, the regular people, not in palaces or with influential people or cozying up to politicians, but Jesus went to the, to the others, the unknowns or the outcasts, the people who, who had nothing. Um, and I think you know, these days we don't know exactly what's going to come next. The economic picture is uncertain. We're not certain of how things are going to turn out. And our first response is either fear or generosity. And here at, at Solid Ground, we always want to choose to be generous with God's help. Uh, we want to help the poor even more. Uh, and these people who God has chosen, there's something to learn uh, from that. Proverbs 28, 27 says, Those who give to the poor will lack nothing. But those who close their eyes to them will receive many curses. There's a promise that, that you can give and give and God will replenish. He'll give it back in, in the ways that matter most. He'll put it, God will take care of us. I love the story about the old farmer in England that was always giving away money, like amounts of money that didn't really make sense. And um, he never seemed to lack. And uh, his church, they would ask him about it. And the farmer said, God keeps filling up my barn. I go in there and throw it out, but he keeps throwing it back. And I love this image. The farmer said, his shovel is bigger than my pitchfork. I love that image of us take, being grateful for what we have and, and kind of shoveling it out. And, and we become a conduit and a vehicle for God to bless others. But no matter how big your pitchfork is or how skilled you are at emptying it, God's shovel is so much bigger. So in this, like uh, I've got a question. Like, What's your favorite prejudice? Maybe, maybe uh, you're someone with less. Like You don't have a lot of resources. Maybe, maybe you're prejudiced with people who have more than you and you make assumptions about them. Oh, they're from the nice part of town. Oh, they drive that. Mm -hmm. I know what they. They're shallow. It can it can go the other way. We're not supposed to judge people on their externals, or we may not uh, pick according to that same prejudice or the same bias of money. But what are your preferences? Which which people kind of 
Uh, maybe they speak with a certain accent or listen to certain kinds of music. Or, like, what is it? Like these days, like at, at solid ground, we may not prefer somebody um, uh, like the Goldfinger Man and say, "Oh, put that put that rich person on the church board." Like maybe maybe that one's kind of an easy one. But what about if they have an amazing talent or amazing voice? Do we immediately say, "Oh, let's let's put them to work"? What can we get out of them? What can they? Oh, are they so beautiful? Let's put them on stage. Like what about character? What if? A person is in a position and they're talented, but they're prideful, gossiping, or divisive. Like I've learned in this far in my journey that the character trumps gifts every time. Who God's made you to be is the greatest gift you can give to solid ground and to the people in your life. Like that counts and don't, don't just like dismiss that because uh, a lot of times, uh, our, our talents and gifts can propel us to a place where, where our character can't sustain us. But here, it's, here's the problem. It's not hard to be dazzled by all the externals. It, we can all get caught up in that from time to time. But too often, it, it takes time for character to be revealed or <laughs> uh, given away. So don't discount what God's doing in your life. And maybe you're thinking like, oh, I, don't, I can't serve like that person. I don't have that person's gift. Like, don't, don't be prejudiced against yourself. I don't look like this. I don't not wear those. Like, it goes for yourself too. Like, let God continue to build your character. So as we move towards like a practical application, uh, a couple of years ago, I came across this book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. I, I really like the way he writes. And the, the big idea in this book is that we judge all the time and we actually have to, like God's given us this great survival mechanism. And he, he calls like a snap judgment. He calls it thin slicing. And it's a very natural thing and it doesn't have to be bad. This is the kind of dynamic where Maybe uh, an experienced firefighter can walk into the room and without needing to explain all of the experience and everything that he's absorbed or she's absorbed in the years, this firefighter can just say, get out of the room. And all of a sudden the, the floor collapses. And when you go back and, and dissect the experience, you, they just know, like it's a God-given talent. Um, but if we're not careful, if we're not being transformed by the renewing of our mind, if we're not walking in step with Jesus, um, we can become like James uh, James says, like judges with evil thoughts. So how do we how do we not become judges with evil thoughts? And in Malcolm's book, he describes there's this test for our preferences, and it's like a really practical. It's one of the most practical ways we can uh, identify what our pref preferences are. And his example was this Harvard implicit association test, and it measures our unconscious attitudes. Uh, it's the most famous one. And it works, it'll show you some words and some pictures of a white person or a black person, a positive word. And I don't understand all the dynamics, uh, but I decided to take it. And uh, I took the test and it showed I had a, a moderate unconscious preference for white people over black people which as a Christian, James says is, is inexcusable. And uh, now, now you're all judging me. But I actually didn't need, and I'm not threatened by that. I'm a, I'm a work in progress. Uh, but I didn't need that test to tell me that I have biases 
Uh, and notice I said unconscious. Um, uh, and I learned this uh, living abroad in the Philippines and Japan. Um, there's a, there's a, a phenomenon called culture shock where the first two, three months in Japan, I was in a euphoric state. I mean, everything was different. The letters and the food and the smells. And I loved bowing instead of shaking hands. I thought, I'm not going to have to wash my hands the whole time I'm here. This is so much cleaner. Uh, but after like three months of, of fatigue, of not hearing English, except when I was in my house, I really, those same things when I realized, oh, this isn't a game we're playing. Like this is how things actually work here. My heart began to ache for something familiar. And we would have a family send us like six hours or eight hours, depending on how you work the VHS cassette tapes. Remember those? And we would come home and not even watch, but just have sitcoms playing in our house just to hear English. Like our, our bias and our prejudice was towards things that were, that were familiar to us. I didn't need that test to tell me, and people argue about the test. I'm not here to to a, I'm not an evangelist for that test, but uh, what I'm saying is that, that in our lives, from all the books we've read and films that we've had, uh, that we've seen, conversations that we've heard, uh, what family we grew up in, like we absorb things and it's just human nature to be drawn to, to what's familiar, even if we're not aware of it. Um, so, but me, I have that bias. So what do I do with it? I don't like it. I don't want to have any prejudice. I want to look in the mirror and go, that's me. Um, and uh, Malcolm Gladwell would agree with James, I think, that, that you don't change it by trying uh, or telling yourself off for, for being so prejudiced or racist. Like, beating yourself up doesn't work. Uh, but what I think is interesting, what they've noticed with this test of, of seeing all these images, uh, they noticed that when people were shown images of Martin Luther King Jr. or Nelson Mandela when they sat in front of the screen and then they did the test, the results were much more positive. And those automatic stereotypes, they faded away. So the way you change your mind and challenge whatever stereotypes or preferences you have or, or break prejudices is when you meet people who are different and discover that they are people, they're human beings, they're made in God's image. And that's okay. Like, in fact, it's awesome to learn other people's stories and, and to interact with something that's different. Like, we are all different, and God needs a planet full of different people. Can you imagine what a planet full of Mike Collins would look like? It would drive me crazy. Like, no one on the planet would be able to find their keys. Everyone would be late. Like, you'd be the, it would drive me crazy. Uh, I wouldn't want to live on it. Uh, what would planet you look like to live on? Maybe it would drive you crazy. Uh, God loves to paint using all kinds of differences, every color and shade. It's never just about black or white. But um, as, we, as we conclude, I just want to share, when I was in Bible college at Oral Roberts University, I'm training for ministry. And I was sitting, we were talking about some of these dynamics. It was in a preaching class and... Um, I forget exactly how, how the conversation started to come up, but uh, my friend Elijah, uh, who happened to come from an African-American background, started um, just describing what it was like to grow up in the South. And as he started sharing his story, uh, the Holy Spirit started working on me. As I listened to his experience of, of growing up black, it was like a completely different planet almost than I grew up 
And while he was sharing, I started like get flashing before my eyes jokes I had told, phrases I had used, or, or things that I had not challenged in all the years leading up into my 22-year-old life, in my, especially in high school and even early college. And in that moment, I was like, I thought I was further along than this. But now I think God's ready to, to work on a new layer of my heart. And that day I asked God to help me be better. And that day, uh, I, I, I learned a more important lesson than, than how to like parse a Greek verb. Like God, I learned at a deeper level that this is my brother and I've got work to do and I'm ready to grow. But I, I was like starting to pray along with the psalmist, like God, search my heart for anything that would be a barrier. Uh, that would get in the way for me loving my brother or loving you, God. And that's our can be our prayer today. Uh, because uh, because of what James says here, like discriminating against another person that God made, that God loves, it breaks God's heart and breaks, as James calls it, the royal law. He says, if you keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. Like we could just shove it off and say, oh, it's just a little thing. Uh, I can always I can always find a way to justify myself. I can justify with, with the best of them. I'm pretty good at that. But last week, we saw that the law is like a mirror, that God's way, the way of following Jesus, the scriptures are like a mirror. But if you break a mirror, it's broken. If you break it all, it's broken. If, you, if, if your tire is flat, it's not partially flat, it's flat. You don't want to drive on it. And I can't say it's, it's only one nail in the tire or the mirror is only broken in one place. It, it doesn't work that way. And that's why we all, on every sides of every spectrum and uh, uh, preference and prejudice, we all need God's grace. This is why we all need Jesus and Jesus' help. And even though every one of us at times has made the wrong snap decision, faulty assumption because of our, our favorite prejudice, whatever that is. Even now we may think, oh, it's okay. It's just a joke. It's just the way I was raised, the way I brought up. Like, I think if God were taking that, that, that bias test, I think this is what would happen. No matter what face appeared on the screen, no matter what their background was, how much money they had, the word God would input to that, uh, would push, always, always assign to that face, no matter their background, no matter their gender, is love. I love that one. I love that one. I love that one. Love, love, love. And my friends, that includes you and me. Thank God. Like no matter how many times and how many ways that, that we've been wrong and done wrong, God says, I love you. I forgive you. Let me change you from the inside out. I love you. I love you too much to leave you the same. I love you and I want you in my family. We are not doomed to live a life of prejudice. If we are following Jesus, we have the answer that the world needs right now. People that are growing, spending time with Jesus and spreading God's love that like Ephesians 2 says, breaks down every barrier. Now, like the Apostle Paul says, there's no longer Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. Like we can grow with God's help. We can't do it on our own. And we don't have to be afraid of admitting 
that we're works in progress. And we can get hope of being reminded of who we're really created to be. And when we look into this mirror, we can see of the people that God dreams of us being. And even a solid ground. We're a work in progress. We're not perfect. My goodness, after a pandemic, we've got our stuff. After election cycles and all the, the racial tension, we've got our work cut out for us. We're not perfect, but we're not, we're not giving up. We want to make this a place. We want to follow Jesus faithfully. We are a work in progress. We're not giving up. And we're going to show Christian love and, and ask God to help us to grow in Christian love and not merely tolerate uh, people that are different than us. But that's why compared to tolerance, Christian love is the strongest. Compared to Christian love, mere tolerance is weak. Because tolerance says, oh, you may exist. But Christian love says, oh, I'm going to move towards you. I'm going to follow the path of our Messiah, Jesus, who left the comfort and safety of heaven and moved towards a broken and bruised world that needed redemption. We follow that example. So um, I want to ask you, that's a simple challenge this week, is just to pray along with the Psalms, this idea that says, God, search my heart and remove any offensive way in me. And say, with God's help, I can. Alone, I can't. But with God's help, I can. So uh, as we conclude, would you please join me in this prayer that that God would do this work in all of us. Not just so we can brag and say, oh, we, we love everybody, but like that there would actually be a heart change and that we could make a difference in the communities that we live in, that God would use us. And let's expect that God will bring things to our mind and that God will recalibrate us so we can get back in step uh, whenever we realize whatever these favorite prejudices are. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, would you please do a work in us? Give us wisdom uh, to, to shine in this world, to be a light that shines brightly in the darkness. God, help us to live differently as salt and light. As individuals, God, we, we, we ask that you would transform our minds in this moment. You would change our hearts towards people that rub us the wrong way or that we consider are the, the others, the other tribe. Would you please help us to unite and show people how to unite as brothers and sisters in your family? Uh, as a church, God, would you please make this online campus, our in-person in campus, a place where, where we see people, no matter where they come from, as you see them, as image bearers. Use us for your glory, Lord Jesus. In the mighty and strong and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So glad that you took a few moments to, uh, to think about these amazing, amazing scriptures that God made sure have been preserved for us for 2,000 years. And uh, until we meet again, you can reach out to us uh, at any time at sgbic.com. We'll, we'll get back to you. and Let us know how you're doing. If you have questions about this, if uh, you have something to add, we love hearing back from you. And um, yeah, and uh, if you have a prayer request, don't try to do this thing alone. We're here. We have prayer partners who would love to pray with you. So uh, now for a benediction. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. May you hear God's voice continually inviting you into God's family or reminding you that you are a part of God's family. May the Lord turn his face towards you and smile upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.